I've been waiting 23 years to say that. You know, not that we need to do another podcast because we already do two, <laughs> but I I almost started this off with a what we do in the shadows quote just because you posted it on your Twitter, the we drank the blood of some people, but the people were on drugs and now I'm a wizard. And I'm like, oh, I just want to talk about what we do in the shadows forever. You, uh, I have a contact that could maybe get us one of the actors. What? Maybe, maybe. It is a, it is a hard, a hard maybe. maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Still, that for two broke geeks, that would be a get. Well, and it's a, uh, it's a. Uh, I think I can get if this were to happen. I could probably get maybe Guillermo. Oh, that'd be fun. But I, I like I said, it's Again, a, hard a hard maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get what you mean. I get it. I get it's it. It's being it's so weird when you're out of the system because of COVID and stuff and things, and then just oh, yeah. realize, oh, I, mean, I, I have content. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, ooh, I felt that one. <laughs> but yeah, it's like so weird being out of the system, but they're still trying to be in the system for like because LA is just a, a shit show right now. Uh-huh. Everything is a shit show right now. Welcome to Hooray! the FBI's Most Unwanted. I'm Matt. I'm Justin. Oh, that was a great opening to the show. And speaking of shit show, this episode is not really a shit show, but Mulder and Scully, of course, get into the shit as they always do. Um, Every single time. But it starts off so hot with the naked man. I know, right? That's He's so muscular. Sexy, muscly, like, dark-haired Fabio-looking dude. Yeah, the muscly arm, uh, like, mm, muscly arm boy. Paper boy. Yeah, bring me some good news. Bring me some good news. <laughs> uh, this is season three, episode 14. It is titled Grotesque. It was directed by uh, series regular contributor Kim Manners and written by series regular contributor Howard Gordon. Originally aired February 2nd, 1996 and features a rather prominent guest star, Kurtwood Smith, yeah. who to me will forever be Clarence Boddicker from RoboCop. In fact, yep. I have trouble remembering his first and last real name. I always just am like, oh, hey, there's Clarence Boddicker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also, which I, I saw when I when I first watched this and saw him, I'm like, okay, so everyone from that 70s show <laughs> is starting to just show up? That's right, because he was red on that 70s show as well. Yes. <laughs> do it no like i had forgotten he was in this episode and as soon as he popped up like i'm alone in my house and i just go oh clarence boddicker and i'm you like did oh the, wait a minute that's you did, not <laughs> you did the leonardo dicaprio once upon a time in hollywood meme where he points at the screen uh-huh pretty much and i'm yeah. like oh wait that's not his real name his real name <laughs> isn't clarence boddicker that's his character his badass character uh well 
his bad guy character anyway from yeah. RoboCop. So, um, yeah, wow. Uh, where was I? Oh, yeah, I was going to talk about some behind-the-scenes stuff on this. Uh, of course, Howard Gordon, uh, who wrote this, obviously, you've watched the episode, you know it focuses heavily on gargoyles, and that's where he got the idea. He noticed some stone gargoyles on a corner of a New York street he was walking down. He watched Disney's Gargoyles and was like, what if? <laughs> you know, I've still never really watched that show. I probably should. It's on Disney+. Plus. I know it is. I know. And they NECA keeps putting out new <clears throat> figures for it, apparently. So I'm like, and I kind of want them. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um... Kim Manners called it, uh, who directed it. He said this was his favorite episode of the third season that he worked on. He thought it was really good. Uh, actually, I think he said, oh, it looks more like he said it was his favorite episode of the season, period. It doesn't say just oh, the wow. one that he worked on, so that's pretty interesting. Uh, they originally planned to film the opening scene at a Catholic hospital instead of in that art class. Uh, but the hospital they were interested in using did not want to put a fake gargoyle on the front of the building. So prudes. Mm-hmm. So they moved it to a place called Heritage Hall, which is a building in Vancouver where they filmed everything in the X Files. And the building had served as both a post office and a Royal Canadian Mounted Police office in the past. So it is. Oh wow. Yeah. One of their favorite filming locations. Um, and then at the last minute before filming, city workers began tearing up a sidewalk on the very spot where the producers planned to film the scene. And everybody panicked and the construction crew was like, no, no, don't worry. It's it's going to be completed before scheduled shooting time. And it was with only two hours to spare. Like the construction crew was done and two hours later they were shooting. So, yeah. Um, do, do, do. I think that's all the interesting stuff about the behind the scenes. So yeah, uh, like we said, uh, the opening takes place at George Washington University, even though, like I just said, it's really a building in Vancouver and it's a naked muscly dude po uh, posing in front of an art class. Which is just great. I was just like, all right, hot start. Yeah. Um, I remember being in art class in college and having to draw nude people. And one of our models. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Well, I'm thinking of someone else. <laughs> oh. Like, who, uh, who I knew. I don't think you, you, you brushed, uh, like did their photo, but I know someone in the class did it. It's, Someone we're not a huge fan of. Oh, no. I never had to see... I think I know who you're talking about. And no, that is a person I never had to deal with. Uh, we had a couple models. And I don't... They weren't anyone, like, in our friend group. Um, but one of them, I remember, she was really gorgeous. And I had a really hard time focusing on just drawing her. I'll say that much. It was... It's... You're like the you're like the some of those movies where people like guys are doing like the immature thing in like art classes where it's just a stick figure with boobs. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. I was having a hard time not. In fact, um, this is super interesting to people listening, which I think is just your dad. But anyway, um, <laughs> no, no, there's at least one other person. Oh, okay, good. Um, I actually found 
going through some old stuff, I still had old college uh, art pads. And there are some drawings of that model. I am not a super great artist, but they are in there. And I am proud to say, yeah, they're not just stick figures with boobs. <laughs> they're actually okay, given my pretty poor art skill. That's all I'm going to say. Anyway, uh, the point is, this nude model, he's in this class, and everybody's, you know, drawing the nude dude. Except this one student in the back who is furiously drawing this crazy monster looking face and while he's doing that it turns out uh he breaks his it turns out he breaks his his charcoal and he needs to sharpen it and for some reason to sharpen his charcoal he has a box cutter (laughs) And yeah, isn't that what everyone has to sharpen charcoal? I mean, I would have thought, like, I know it's not just pencil, but I would have thought there was some better way to sharpen your charcoal than with a box cutter. <laughs> I mean, it's the ever it's the ever useful tool for whatever you need. I will say, though, it does make for a pretty intense... I mean, the, the guy is given a pretty good performance here of being in like his manic whatever state he's in and it does make it pretty intense when he cuts himself when he's sharpening his charcoal and kind of ignores it and immediately goes back to drawing but then starts like using his blood as part of his drawing hey he he is dedicated to his art he's making those kiss comics man yeah Oh man, <laughs> gotta make those kiss comics. Maybe it was his idea. Maybe he was the guy back in the day who was like, "Hey, Gene, put your blood in these comics. That'd be great." Do it. So uh, the the class ends, and this dude immediately uh, shuts up his weird drawing in a case and barges out. And the nude model has noticed this dude intensely staring at him, which. Um, hopefully the nude model that I had trouble not drawing just stick figure with boobs didn't notice me staring that <laughs> intently back in the day. But, um, they're just sitting there at their house and they're like, yeah, I remember I took this art class. And this one guy just like, just really intensely was staring at me, but I was like, I saw was hanging out a little bit. I saw his art through, like, a mirror that he didn't realize was behind him, and it literally just looked like a stick figure with boobs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, this is going to become, a like, a thing now where everyone is just going to think he's denying it too much that he didn't just draw this stick figure with boobs. I need this as fan art, guys. You got to make it happen, um, Dad. <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> So anyway, the, the, the nude model, he, the, the, the intense dude, he storms out and we see a gargoyle on top of a building that kind of looks like the drawing that this dude was doing of the weird monster thing. And then the nude model, he's not nude anymore. He goes out to his car and there's something jammed in the lock of his car and so he can't unlock the door and he gets attacked and killed and then the very next scene is an fbi raid 
on the intense dude's apartment, which is covered in just countless drawings of this weird monster creature. And we realize, oh, this dude is some kind of whack job serial killer. And that's when we're first introduced to... Uh, Clarence Boddicker. Yeah, Clarence Boddicker. Red. <laughs> yeah, Red. Oh, no. Well, yeah, like, Kurtwood Smith. Kurtwood uh, Smith. Yeah, I probably should say agent. his real character name so we can talk. I yeah, mean, Bill I could Patterson. Just... Yes, Bill pa- I could just call him Clarence for the entire episode. Everyone <laughs> would know what I was talking about. But, uh, yes, and he's, like, the lead investigator, and he comes in, and he finds the uh, box cutter covered in blood. It's so weird because he like, he, like he cut they barge and they take him. And he just like immediately puts on a glove and goes underneath the bed to find, like he sort of already knew it was there, kind of deal. Yeah, uh, there's which, um, some stuff in this episode that I guess the further into it we can get, uh, the further into the episode we get we can talk about. But this episode does have a element of what is what is really going on kind of thing yeah. you know well and also kind of when we get to it well I would say in my final thoughts but basically like there was like certain words and phrasing that was used that made you go oh i see where this is going <laughs> mhm yeah so um after the opening credits uh it's Mulder, who is um, showing Scully pictures of all these mutilated victims, and he's like, yeah, basically this dude is claiming he didn't do it and that he was possessed by some kind of demon to do this. Uh, His name is... uh, John John Mostow. Uh, He's from Uzbekistan. And he has a history of involuntary involuntary commitment. So he's uh you know never been psychologically stable or anything. And basically Mulder's like, yeah, maybe this dude is is possessed. And Scully's like, yeah, no, he's probably not. Uh, obviously, because it's Scully. And Mulder's like, oh yeah, then how do you explain the fact that more murders, exactly the same as these murders, took place like tonight, or last night, and he was already in prison, and you know, he's been there for like days, and Scully's like, uh, copycat? And Mulder's like, no, no, they haven't released any details to the public, and she's like, okay, well then he has a partner, and Mulder's like, yeah, we'll see about that. (laughs) Classic. Classic. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, in Mostow, he's in his cell, and he's drawing a gargoyle, and he's like, that's the thing that made me kill. And Mulder and Scully meet up with Bill Patterson, and we find out, basically, that, uh, of course, it's talked about a lot in the show that Mulder used to work for, like, profiling and catching killers and stuff like that and he's really good at it and he used to work with or directly under bill i wasn't he worked under it it's he worked under bill but because there was a very specific phrase that was used where it's like yeah i used to work under him but like everyone else would grovel at his feet to get his 
Yeah, he used to work at ISU. I just found ISU, which is the investigative support unit at Quantico. Yeah. And so it's like the whole deal is just like basically like, yeah, everyone wanted to be Patterson, but I didn't. Right. Because I didn't like his methods. And basically, yeah, Mulder wanted different methods and had different theories about the way everything worked, you know, because we know he's spooky Mulder. And that's why he left that division to start the X-Files division or to work in the X-Files division uh, as its sole employee until Scully showed up. But so we meet them and we find out that Patterson has actually been on this serial murderer case for three years. And he's like, you know, Mulder, I don't really believe in your theories and yada 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 basically the same spiel Mulder always gets <laughs> and Scully's like yeah I don't really either <laughs> and so they go to this studio in the apartment where Mostow was working or in the building where he worked or whatever and it's still all full of these sculpture or uh, drawings but they find a hidden door to a hidden room full of sculptures of gargoyles and inside the sculptures of gargoyles are dun 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 dead bodies i find it hilarious that during this uh, it was like mm-hmm. he doesn't necessarily say what's in there he's just like oh it's just full of a bunch of and scully's just outside like what is it well, what is just until she, he finds like the bodies? Well, she like, doesn't like, follow him in, and then yeah. he puts his uh, flashlight in his mouth so he can use both his hands, and then he doesn't answer her. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm like, how is she just still standing outside the room and not come barging in, guns blazing? Right, she's just he he goes, it's full of. And then just dead silence. Like, how yeah. is she not just running in after the third time she says, What is it, Mulder? Mulder, what is it? Mulder? And also, really nice sculpture work, just in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, dead bodies aside, like, yep. this is a pretty nice uh, gargoyle. <laughs> yeah, the, the design of everything in this is pretty cool. Uh, his apartment slash studio, really creepy. Um and the atmosphere of the episode overall is actually really good uh, creepy horror thriller atmospheric uh, direction and uh, production design. Yeah. Although some stuff, when we get to it, kind of questionable. <laughs> yes, for sure. Um, kind of like uh, the next scene where... While Mulder and Scully are busy finding out about these dead bodies, there's a glass blower in a glass blowing studio, and he gets attacked by a something. And this is where some of the, my minor gripes with the episode come in. The something is definitely made to look like it's a monster gargoyle thing. Yeah. It's got rubber monster hands, very poor rubber monster hands um and kind of like the outlet uh or outlet outline of the gargoyle face yeah it kind of has like the like kind of like pointed ears mm-hmm. uh and definitely like on the bigger scale 
So we're led to believe that this this uh, monster that possessed, and we can talk about this later, but I like I said, this is one of my minor gripes with the episode. We're led to believe that this monster that possessed uh, Mostow has now possessed somebody else and is out there attacking uh, random people like this glassblower because, you know, that's the, that's the guy that's harmful to everybody is the glassblower. <laughs> Yeah, he's around a furnace, like, all the time. <laughs> and so there's another agent that's working with uh, Clarence Bodiger and Mulder and Scully. His name is Memehauser, or Nemhauser. Um, Memhauser. <laughs> and he says, Hey, Scully, uh, you know, the reason that... Mulder is on this case in the first place is because Patterson talked directly to A.D. Skinner and asked for him specifically so like maybe it seems like he doesn't like him but I actually think he likes him a lot like maybe he's good at this and Scully's like huh that's weird he asked for him and didn't like say why or anything like that and he's like yeah I guess so and so um Patterson then the next scene is like Patterson he finds Mulder in the library studying gargoyles where we get this big pointless Mulder voiceover about the history of gargoyles and how they come from this French word that is something about a mythical dragon yeah and it's about like terror or like it haunt like it's a manifestation of people's like nightmares or Stuff like that. And then part of me's like, then why are they put on cathedrals all the time if they're nightmares? <laughs> well, he talks about that a little bit. Uh, then I missed that because oh. I was just partially nodding off probably from the just like because I'm like, and we can move forward from this exposition. Well, I think it's actually later in the episode. But the, the reason gargoyles go on churches is to scare off demonic forces. Ah, scarecrows. Sort of, yeah. Basically, like scarecrows, they they're there to like the the demons are afraid of the gargoyles. Is basically the idea of putting them on churches. Is that even though they look like monsters and scary and ooh, they're actually there to keep the demons away. Uh, and that's kind of all in this expositiony stuff right here with Mulder. And Patterson, he's there, and he's like, hey, you know, I'm wicked disappointed in how you've turned out in your career. <laughs> yeah, it just cuts right to it. Pretty much. Um, and so then Scully goes to find Mulder. She's looking for him, and she goes to his apartment, and she knocks, and she's like, hey, Mulder. Mulder, it's me. Hey, Mulder. And Mulder doesn't come to the door, so she just lets herself in, which, rude. I mean... Yeah, very rude. He could have been, like, busy jacking it to, like, some science porn or something like that. We all know Mulder loves his porn. Like, he could have... Not only that, he really loves not locking doors or even closing them. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a TV staple, though, right? Well, like, yeah. I mean, think about... All the times on like Seinfeld where Kramer just poof, just bursts in the door. 
and yells racist slurs. Yes, we all know. Yep. Or uh, <laughs> one of my favorite jokes from Friends, which everybody may have uh, different differing thoughts on Friends, but this is still a good joke. Uh, they're all trying to get into... Uh, everyone is trying to get into Monica and Chandler's apartment in the final season, and the door is locked, and Ross is like, oh, sure, now the door is locked, but when they're having sex on the couch, it's like, come on in, my ass is surprisingly hairy. Ah. <laughs> 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 oh. Um, so Scully goes into Mulder's apartment and now Mulder's apartment is covered in drawings of gargoyles. And of course this starts to get Scully to be like, uh, Oh, like, has, not again. <laughs> well, not, not necessarily not again, but uh Oh, has Mulder like is. Well, yeah, that, that, that's kind of the not again, because there's been at least two other moments where he's been so like involved in a case mm-hmm. And she thinks maybe it, he's the one that's gone off the deep end. Yeah. Cause Especially, like, the last couple episodes where it's just, like, more and more we kind of see the... uh we, we see, like, Scully seeing the quote-unquote possible declining of Mulder, like, uh, case after case. Mm-hmm. And so that happens, and... Meanwhile, Mulder has gone to Mostow's studio and sculpted a gargoyle himself. And he wakes up and there's a figure there that has a gargoyle face and gargoyle hands (laughs) that attacks him and slashes his face but runs away. And Mulder, and, you know, Mulder, he obviously is attacked. And he and Scully meet back up. And Scully's like, hey, why were you in the studio? And Mulder's like, uh, because? And Scully's like, that's not really good enough. Um, so everybody is there investigating Mulder's attack. And Mulder goes off. And Scully... Patterson comes up to her and is like, hey, can we talk for a minute in private? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, don't try to stop Mulder. He's doing what he should be doing. Like, don't get in his way. Uh, and she's like, that's weird. Yeah, because that's a re- not a red flag or anything. <laughs> right. And so as she goes to leave, she finds a taken apart box cutter knife at the scene and she's like huh and so she collects it as evidence meanwhile Mulder goes back to Mostow and uh, punches a man in a straight jacket in the face for some reason because Mulder's <laughs> Just like because. right because Mulder thinks the possession is real and that he's been attacked and he's like how come it didn't kill me tell me why and how do I find it? And Mostow won't tell him anything. And Mulder hits him in the face and everything. And Scully takes the um, thing, the utility knife, the box cutter, to a lab tech who is 
<laughs> I don't know if anybody caught it but me, but she is a Vancouver extra. She says about. <laughs> she says sorry about that. <laughs> she does. She's very clearly. And she's like, so um, this box cutter has Agent Mulder's prints on it. And Scully's like, what? And she's like, yeah, I just... There's no other prints, like, maybe the, the killer had gloves on and maybe, like, just Agent Mulder touched it at the scene. And Scully's like, uh-huh, okay. So she goes to see Skinner, and she's like, I understand. Well, well Skinner go- asks for her. That's Well, actually, actually, you're right, because first she goes to the evidence room. Yeah, And she goes to the box with the evidence from the Mostow case and she finds out that the box cutter is missing from the evidence case. And yeah, Skinner asks for her and when she goes to see Skinner, she's like, I, uh, I understand that you put him on this case. And he's like, yeah, but uh, I got a question. Are you worried about Agent Mulder? Or first, he says, uh, "Did you find?" Because basically, Skinner has found out that the the prints were Mulder's, and he says, "You know, yeah. is this the same murder weapon from before?" And Scully lies. She says, "I've been, you know, I haven't been able to confirm if it was, even though she knows because she's we just saw her in the evidence room." And that's when. Skinner is like, so are you worried about Mulder? And she refuses to answer. And then Skinner says, off the record. (laughs) And I don't understand how you can just say off the record and suddenly something is, quote unquote, off the record. It Well, like, normally when that's happened, there's usually a recording thing, so they'll turn it off. Right, that's... But because there's nothing there, it's just off the record, yeah, I'm worried too. And I'm like, okay. Right, off the record is like when a a reporter is recording somebody's conversation and they turn it off, and so they have no way to prove that somebody said something but in this case Skinner just goes off the record and Scully's like oh yeah I'm worried and Skinner's like yeah me too and it's like Skinner are you just going to ignore what she just said like do you not think it's important just because you said off the record before she told you (laughs) that seems a little weird but okay let's go with that um uh, what happened next? I'm trying to think. Then we go. Then we get put because Mulder goes back to the studio. Uh, oh right, but he doesn't know how he got there. He he right. like has that nightmare, or whatever, and then he wakes up at the studio and he has no idea yeah. how he got there. But oh, right, he's in the studio, doesn't know how he got there. Uh, meanwhile, Scully is calling Nemhauser Nemhauser. Uh, because she was looking for him for some reason, and Mulder here... He, fl- he left a message on her answering machine. Right, that's right. He left the message on her answering machine. And so she's calling him back, and Mulder hears a phone ringing, and he finds a coat, and he picks it up and says, Hello, and Scully's like, Mulder, is that you? And he's like, Yeah, Scully, what you doing? And she's like, Well, I was calling Niemhauser back. Is he with you? 
And Mulder's like, no. And Scully's like, where are you? And Mulder's like, I'm at the studio. And Scully's like, oh, God. Because now well, she... Well, then asks about the box cutter. It's like, mm-hmm. like do you know what? why your fingerprints are on the box, box cutter? And it's like, oh, yeah, because I was... He, he says it in, like, the most... Uh, like the most criminal way where it's like I just wanted to touch it it's just like why would you say that <laughs> yep yep and she's like okay I'll, I'll don't move I'm coming down <laughs> yep uh but Scully also <sighs> okay Patterson is just at the studio yeah yeah, because like and, he like because because Mulder's like looking at a, a, uh, a he goes to the like a fresh sculpture that was made and he rips it open to find Niemhauser's yes. face and he turns around and and Patterson is there and Mulder's like oh god and Patterson's like what you doing Mulder <laughs> and Mulder's like oh. Oh, it was you. You're the you're the copycat killer. Which here we see Mulder's actually being a good agent come out because he goes, "It was you. You spent three whole years getting so deep inside this guy's head, and were so obsessed with catching him that you lost it and you became him." And it's at this moment that Scully pops up and sees Mulder with his gun on Patterson and doesn't realize that Patterson is the bad, the bad guy. And she's like, whoa, Mulder, put your gun down. And Mulder's like, nope, and you don't understand. And she's like, well, then help me understand. And while they're having their argument, Patterson starts to run away. Yeah, he, like, pushes Scully down. Yeah, he pushes Scully down. He runs. Mulder chases him. Then up on the roof, uh, you know, Mulder, he gets attacked again by what looks like the gargoyle creature. But Mulder shoots him and Scully comes up and they call an ambulance because he's shot. And then the last scene is Patterson in jail, in his cell, just screaming that he didn't kill those people and that he is innocent. Uh, He has drawn a gargoyle face in blood on his cell wall. And uh, earlier in the episode, Mulder had told Scully that he and Patterson had disagreed on the best way to investigate serial murderers. You know, he had talked about how Patterson tried to empathize with them and get too deep in their head. And that's part of the reason Mulder didn't want to work with him anymore was because he didn't like that method. He thought it was. Yeah. And he said he said the very specific phrase like early on. It's like, yeah, his method was you have to become you have to become what you're hunting, basically. And I was that's kind of what the giveaway was like. Oh, all right. I see where this is going. Yep. So, uh, basically, Mulder's closing monologue is about becoming the darkness and whatnot. And it ends on just that closing monologue. And this is one of the uh, few X-Files episodes where 
really nothing supernatural happened unless you actually believe that the gargoyle was a possession which they kind of leave open for interpretation and that's really my biggest problem with the episode i think it's more interesting if the gargoyle demon possession is the metaphor for patterson becoming a killer himself yeah, uh, I overall really like this episode. I kind of give it mm-hmm. in the grade range around like an A minus. It mm-hmm. was just kind of tacky how, like, yeah, they did like the weird, like the the weird ant like monster aspect was, but was it really a monster? It may not have mm-hmm. been because I feel like actually putting like oh you froze it, up. It's kind of like the whole smoking gun. Oh shit! Uh, scenario like there's a guy with a mask and gloves. He's a monster. Means there should be a monster kind of deal, but there isn't. Uh, and it just seemed very. It kind of took you out of it more so mm-hmm. because it's like there's one moment like near the like when he gets attacked by the gargoyle, where he like gets kicked off of like oh into like a thing of bags or whatever, but. It, but it's still like fully a, like a gargoyle, a, like a man with gargoyle hands and a head, and it kind of throws you out of it. Now it's like really my only real complaint about it was like I'm like I kind like I get the message, mm-hmm. but I think uh, execution wise it could have been better. Sure, and you probably didn't hear me say this, but you froze there for a second, so I'm gonna have. Oh, uh, you froze on my end too, I think. Oh, okay. Uh, so I'm gonna have to do a little editing. I caught most of what you said, though, and for the most part, I agree. Um, I think it would have been better, sir. I I come in a little higher than you on this episode. I think this is an A for me, and the only thing that stops it from being an A plus is kind of what I just said and kind of what you were just talking about, where. I think the episode would have been better off if it had been really, really 100% clear that there was no demon. Like, if there had been um, a mask that the the guy Mostow wore, and then they took it into evidence, and then uh, Patterson was caught wearing it at the end... Yeah. In that scene when he, you know, when Mulder shoots him, but that's not what happens. When Mulder shoots him, he sees the demon gargoyle thing there, but then when he looks back after he's shot Patterson, it's just Patterson again. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. No, it's an interesting metaphor, and I get what they're going for, and I like it, and it's strong. And it's a good hook for the episode. Uh, If you're going to have an episode where in the end nothing supernatural happens, the hook of this guy is claiming possession and he claims that the possession has left him and gone into somebody else. And then we find out there was no possession. It's just this guy was crazy and this guy investigating him lost his mind investigating him and became a copycat killer. That's good. It's they 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 screwed up the execution just a little bit in the end, though. Otherwise, yeah. I think this episode is actually really damn good. In fact, uh, when I got done watching it today, I was like, "Oh, that's actually better than I remembered it being," and I remembered liking it a lot, and it turned out to be better than I remembered it even. Yeah, it was good. Like. Uh- just just a little muddy on the message for me but it's mm-hmm. still like it's still 
it's still up there as a pretty damn good one. Yeah, ultimately, um, yeah, like I said, I think I got to come in at just about an A for this one. It probably would be a little bit higher, but not quite. So that uh, that's the end of Grotesque for this episode. Uh, next two episodes are uh, mythology episodes, and then we're going to be back into the... Um, Monster of the Week episodes, but the next one, let me double check. I know it's Piper. Oh, the next <laughs> one is actually, that's right. That's what this episode is. This episode, Piper Maru introduces something very important for just about the rest of the series. So, all right. Uh, this one is, is uh, a, a good one. I'll say that much. I remember this one pretty well in fact all i saw was a pic was the title and a, a screen grab from the episode and i was like oh yep this one's a biggie so uh, all right everybody's homework for next time is piper maru and yeah dad yeah dad <laughs> all right later everyone later The FBI's Most Unwanted is a production of Two Broke Geeks Entertainment and is part of the Atomic Geekdom Network. Find the flagship Two Broke Geeks podcast wherever you download podcasts or online at twobrokegeeks.com. You can find the Atomic Geekdom Network at atomicgeekdom.com. Our artwork is by Justin Kowalski. You can find him on Twitter at J underscore Rocka. Our theme music is by Tony Longworth. You can find him on Twitter at Tony Longworth or on Facebook, Tony Longworth, Dark Composer. You can help out the podcast by subscribing and leaving us a review. Thanks. Thanks.